You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is the second of three episodes of Lighthearted being released this week for Florida Week. My co-host is Cindy Johnson. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Let's start with a few fun facts about Florida. How's that for alliteration? Fantastic. Everyone knows Florida for its oranges, but did you know that Florida is also the largest producer of watermelons in the country? It also produces the most tomatoes, strawberries, and sugar. I did not know that. Did you know that Florida also has more golf courses than any other state and is home to the World Golf Hall of Fame and Museum in St. Augustine? Wow. Florida has more toll roads and bridges than any other state in the U.S. The Florida Everglades are the only place on the planet where crocodiles and alligators live together. Uh-huh. The highest point in Florida, Britain Hill in the Florida Panhandle, is only 345 feet above sea level. Wow. In terms of area, Jacksonville, Florida is the largest city in the United States. Annual attendance at Disney World is about 17 million people. That's over 45,000 people per day on average. Busy days will see over 100,000. My mind is blown. In May, my wife Charlotte and I flew to Orlando. We did not, however, visit Disney World. We drove straight over to the East Coast. We visited three lighthouses. Today's featured interview involves the second of the three lighthouses we visited at Ponce de Leon Inlet. Ponce de Leon Inlet Lighthouse, also known as Ponce Inlet Lighthouse, is on the central east coast of Florida, just south of Daytona Beach. At 175 feet tall, it's the tallest lighthouse in the state and the third tallest in the United States. It became a National Historic Landmark in 1998. The lighthouse tower and three keepers' dwellings have been restored and are open to the public every day, with the tower open for climbing. A restored first-order Fresnel lens once used in the lighthouse and another first-order lens once used at the Cape Canaveral Lighthouse are on display in the museum's lens exhibit building, along with other lenses and artifacts. John Mann is the lead docent for on-site tours and community outreach and educational programs advisor for the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. John's research has been largely hands-on, with about 2,300 visits to light stations in the U.S. and its territories, Canada, and 14 European nations. John Mann has been called the superstar and the principal keeper of the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse. Felipe de Paula is the registrar and assistant curator of the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. During my visit in May, I had the chance to sit down and chat with John Mann and Felipe de Paula. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here at the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum, and it's really a pleasure to be here. It's my first visit to this museum, which is one of the great lighthouse museums in the United States. And I am here with John Mann and Felipe de Paula, and it's uh, great to have you here. Thanks so much, uh, Felipe and John, for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time with me. And let's get right into some questions here uh, today. Uh, my first question is for either or both of you. 
Uh, Ponce Inlet is, is certainly one of the must-see places for any lighthouse buff coming to Florida. Some people might find uh, the idea of 203 steps in the lighthouse tower a little daunting. I just did those 203 steps myself a few minutes ago, and I thanks for giving me a cold bottle of water. That uh, certainly hit the spot. But uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what else there is to do and uh, see and do here if they choose not to climb the lighthouse? Uh, hi, Jeremy. Felipe. Thanks for having yeah. us. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff to do besides the lighthouse, right? We often have families that come by and then some of the family will go up and then maybe the, the older uh, older part of the family or some of the younger kids or people just don't want to go up. And so w- we have lots of other exhibits for them to see. There's uh, stuff about racing on the beach. There's stuff about the families that lived here. There, there's exhibits about all sorts of things related to the history of the area. So uh, it's not just the lighthouse. Thanks, Felipe. John, you want to add anything to that? I love the fact that um, we're so accurate um, that we are, we don't portray we are. What you're looking at is, is what you would have looked at if you were here 135 years ago. And the people get that sense. Um, there are very few electronic devices around because we want people to experience uh, that feeling of not only isolation, but of difficulty in dealing with some of the uh, things that people had to deal with. Uh, and some of the joys, too, that people dealt with in those times. Yeah, one, one thing, we, we do say this uh, frequently. Uh, we, we say, come for the climb, but stay for the history. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a fact that people do do. That's true. Well, I certainly agree with that. Uh, here's another question for both of you. I'll start with John. Uh, there are, as you say, a lot of things that make this, this place special. What, what for you are some of the things that set, a, set it apart, maybe getting a little bit more into uh, the history? What, what uh, really sets this place apart for you? This is, this is the last of the brick giants to be built, pretty much the last of the brick giants to be built in the United States by the, the Lighthouse Bureau, uh, actually. Um, and it's a lot of people consider this to be the perfect lighthouse as far as engineering is concerned. All of the mistakes or the boo-boos that were made uh, during the, uh, uh, the period of time between 1850 and, and 1890 or so in building these, these brick giants were made in the other towers. So this tower, although it had its moments in getting the building materials here, as do most isolated uh, stations, this um, is an incredibly beautiful and well-engineered uh, tower. It's something that uh, I like to point out to visitors. Um, we have a model in our principal keeper's residence uh, of the building of the tower, and it shows the, uh, uh, shows the station as it was about a, a year and a half into the actual building, and the intricacies of the building. It's just an amazing story. And, of course, it, it's just simply beautiful to look at also. Oh, it is. It's, it's certainly one of the most handsome towers I've ever seen. Uh, Felipe, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, I mean, John covered most of it, but uh, I personally, as somebody who just enjoys Florida history, I like the fact that there is a lot 
of, of history involved. There's a lot of stuff. So even for those who aren't um, super into lighthouses, there is stuff about everything. And the, the station here, the lighthouse and the buildings around it relate to a lot of different important events in Florida history from the Civil War to yeah. the Seminole Wars to the, the Spanish occupation and British occupation. There's a lot more than just a, a simple lighthouse, I think. And that's yeah. very interesting. Just going through, let's say, the principal keeper's residence, which is now a museum, the rooms are dedicated to different parts of the history, not only the, the building of this lighthouse, this particular lighthouse, but the restoration of it, uh, the building of it, uh, the significant events that happened during it. We have a room that's devoted to uh, the, uh, the studying the science of light, in addition, of course, to our, our Fresnel lens exhibit. So there are lots of things to see and do. Just, just going to uh, stepping on the, the porch of the first assistant keeper's residence and looking in and seeing how a family lived in 1895 is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, John, uh, I know you often greet visitors uh, while wearing a replica lighthouse service uniform. Do you uh, some, maybe get some interesting reactions uh, when you do that sometimes? Um, a lot of times when uh, there are other <clears throat> uniformed uh, uh, docents here, we might go into, uh, not first-person interpretation, but uh, so I wear the big Ks on the lapel of the uniform as the principal keeper. And uh, we might go into dialogue, a, a fellow docent and I, about uh, tasks that were done correctly or not done correctly. And I've actually had visitors come up to me afterwards and thank me for my service, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which is really, and then I re you know, reveal that, no, I'm just a docent uh, playing a role. The other, the other funny story is about five years ago, we received a, um, a significant uh, award from a local business organization and actually a community service organization. So I was invited to accept the award. Uh, I did a brief 20-minute slideshow about the history of the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and so on. And of course, I'm in my keeper's um, uniform, uh, full regalia, uh, entertaining the folks, about 150. And as we're leaving, at the end of the dinner, at the end of this, this whole dinner, there's a person standing. And there's only one group in this building. And there's a person, a woman standing by the front door, and she looks over at me intently, and she says, are you with the Salvation Army? Uh -huh. <laughs> and no, I was very gracious and said, no, I'm, I'm not. Um, yeah, we get all sorts of, uh, some visitors will come up and look and uh, say, um, are, is there a train station close by? <laughs> and I'll point to the K's on the uniform and say, this doesn't mean conductor. <laughs> That's spelled with a C, folks. No, I'm the keeper. Oh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun with that. It's funny because we, uh, we had a famous keeper who was at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in New Hampshire for 35 years, and he used to tell visitors that the K on his uniform stood for captain. <laughs> well, a lot of keepers were were referred to as captain right, yeah. because of the you know the maritime and nautical uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah, think he likes being fun. called captain. Yeah, that's fun. 
now, of course, one of the big attractions here at Ponce Inlet is the great uh, collection of Fresnel lenses you have in your lens exhibit building, which is, uh, I think, one of the best lens exhibits uh, I've ever seen, certainly one of the best in the country. And uh, I'm sure for a lot of visitors here, it's, it's their first exposure to Fresnel lenses. Uh, Felipe, could you com- comment on the uh, special quality of the lens exhibit here? Being able to come here and see not just the the quality of the lenses we have, but also the quantity, just how many lenses and how uh, varied they are. It's something that really, uh, it, it's it's not every day that you can see something like that, right? It's um, the lenses we have lenses from little small six ordered lenses mm-hmm. all the way to giant first ordered lenses, and they're really something that. I had never seen until I, I started working here. It's it's very it's a sight to see for sure. Mm-hmm. Bringing tour groups into uh, or actually approaching the front of the the lens museum, and it it, it doesn't matter whether they're uh, first or second graders or adults. Uh, there's a wow factor. Yeah. Once you walk into the lens building and see the two first orders that we have, our original. Uh, Ponce Inlet, the 1887 First Order, and also the uh, the Cape Canaveral Lighthouse First Order. A certain wow factor to that that is, um, it, it is awesome to use that word correctly. Unfortunately, it's used so incorrectly, <laughs> yeah. but it is awesome. Yeah, truly awesome. And to explain to people or to have people realize that not only are these aesthetically uh, interesting, aesthetically beautiful, but also technologically a, a miracle of the 19th century as far as engineering. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to add something that I I recently did a, a survey of some of the, the patrons we had here visiting mm-hmm. the lighthouse just to try and understand more about what they uh, what, what specifically they liked. And uh, when I asked what their, their favorite part of their visit was, the number one answer by far was the tower and getting to see the view yeah. from the top. But the number two answer was that lens exhibit mm-hmm. building yeah. and seeing all the beautiful lenses. It was really caught people by surprise. Yeah, yeah. I would easily believe that. Uh, what would you say, and either you can, either of you can start uh, by answering this, what are some of the other highlights for you of the exhibits and the other buildings? What really stands out for you? What, what would you recommend that people don't want to miss when they come here as far as the other exhibits here? I, I like the stuff about the the racing on the beach because that I had no idea about until I came here. That that is something that a lot of people I, I don't think are familiar with, but I think it's just fascinating about the history of NASCAR and how it developed rate uh, developed on the beach over here at Ponce Inlet. And so we have a, a little exhibit that talks about that and shows the different land speed records. Um, and there's some video of it too, and it's something that I never really crossed my mind, but breaking land speed records at the, the beaches over here in Ponce Inlet and Daytona. That, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I also like uh, the tactile uh, things that we do, the, uh, the hands-on science of light exhibit and the principal keepers residence gives you an opportunity to actually bend light. You know, in a classroom situation, you're exposed to, as, uh, as Jeremy was talking about before, you're exposed to diagrams uh, here you actually have a, a, a laser right. and a, 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 a prototypical uh, uh, Fresnel lens, and you can bend the light, demonstrating how this thing worked. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, in our uh, second assistant keeper's residence, 
There's a, there are slide panels, uh, questions for kids. If you were a kid, here would be your school implement, your school. And of course, there are no tablets, electronic tablets <laughs> or computers or anything like that. And the kids are introduced to slates and pieces of chalk. And if, um, here were your toys and kids can look at toys of the late 19th, early 20th century. It's really, it's really eye opening to see that. There's the the story from uh, Gladys Gladys Meyer yes. Davis who uh, was born here on the property a while ago and yeah. um, grew up here spent some time here as a child and uh, she mentioned that she had uh, received one Christmas a a pair of skates yeah. but the the only place that she could skate was uh, around the tower because everywhere else was brick and the mm-hmm. tower was the the area where there was a little bit of concrete around the the base right. of the tower yeah. so she would skate around that tower all day <laughs> so I, I thought that was a funny story too yeah. so much gladys still lives in the area and it's an yeah. amazing uh, amazing thing that we have a treasure like her yeah. uh, because she has told us so much about living growing up here and that's so important that we can relate firsthand to our young visitors what it was like and say, this is really what it was like, not, yeah. uh, you know, your grandpa walking uphill four miles to school and, and uphill yeah. Yeah. four miles home. Yeah, this is what it really was like to grow up here. Yeah, she is living history. Yep. Uh, so you have an extensive educational outreach program. Um, John, maybe you could say a little bit about the work you do with local schools. We, it, this is difficult to frame in a, in a short period of time because this is a 30-year history of uh, interaction with our local schools. There is no fee charged for school trips here. Our, our, our teachers um, are also uh, welcome to come to the to the lighthouse and they take advantage of it but we have moved even further in that we're actively involved with the teaching staff too in co-developing curricular activities which will go along with the units that they're they're teaching actually teaching in the classroom we have a, a number of very talented former educators on the staff who are able to talk teacher to teacher with uh, people. So a lot of our outreach is really specifically designed between teacher and staff here. And and we've won a couple of awards because of that, a couple of uh, educational, uh, outre- uh, well, outreach awards because mm-hmm. of that. That's great. I'm sure you can get into a lot more detail about oh, that. Oh, Lord, yes. And I also understand you've been uh, recognized by an invitation to speak at a national museum convention coming up in October? We spoke uh, two years ago mm-hmm. at um, the uh, uh, National Docents Symposium in Montreal. Uh, we were extremely well received, uh, and as a result, we were asked to repeat, uh, do a repeat of that particular program in a wider venue this year. Uh, the, the National Docents Convention is done every two years. We're going to Washington, D.C. this October mm-hmm. uh, in, as I said, a wider venue to uh, do that program, which is partnering with your schools. Uh, very important for, uh, for museums. A lot of folks two years ago um, in our, our breakout session, the breakout session that we did were 
uh, we were stuck for an hour answering questions after the breakout session. And for about a month after, I was emailing folks who had questions. So we've been invited to uh, actually, as I said, expand the, uh, the, uh, into a different venue, a larger venue. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Yeah, yeah that's great. Now, uh, most visitors do self-guided tours here. Uh, of the tower and the other buildings, but uh, there are also uh, special guided tours available at times. And John, you're the lead docent, uh, so you're involved with a lot of these tours. Could you just briefly maybe uh, tell us a little bit about some of what's available? Um, About seven or eight years ago, gosh, has it been that long, uh, we began a very special tour called Climb to the Moon. Uh Uh, And on the first night of the full moon, uh, we take a group of, of... 30 people or less. Uh, Right now there's a waiting list of almost a year uh, for these tours. Uh, We take them on a a historic tour of the grounds and then we climb literally to the moon. Uh, We observe the sunset, which is usually spectacular, um, uh, to the west and then watch the moon rise and Oh, it's romantic, and some of the some of the guys who do the proposal thing, you know, in the uh, we also open the lantern room, uh, so it is romantic. We uh, have some snacks, uh, a little sparkling beverage at the top. It's a very very nice way to spend an evening. Uh, climb to the moon is fun. Uh, we do a lot of school outreach activities, uh, and literally during the year, dozens of. Of uh, of those kinds of programs, mm-hmm. all with a theme. Yeah, yeah, and that's all on your website, I assume. It's all on the website. Uh, currently, uh, the website is active, but currently being revised so that mm-hmm. it's going to even be more user friendly. Sure, and Facebook as well. Uh, Facebook as all well. The stuff. All, all the social media. All yeah. of the yeah. electronic yeah. media. Twitter, yeah. social, Instagram. Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 Look up yeah. Ponce Lighthouse, and you'll you'll find us. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, just one more question, uh, and this is for both of you. I uh, just wonder if there's anything uh, we haven't touched on that either of you would like to add. If there's one thing you could tell our listeners, again, that we haven't already talked about, uh, this is your chance to say it now or forever hold your peace. Is there anything you'd like to add, John? Well, uh, yeah, we're very, very proud. As a matter of fact, Jeremy, we're going to uh, give you a copy. Um, our curator, Ellen uh, Henry, uh, has just completed... Uh, a 15-year labor of love, um, the history of the Ponce and the Lighthouse. There have been several uh, shorter versions of, of a history, and uh, this one, as I said, Ellen has spent a good 15 years doing the research on it. It is not your typical lighthouse history because it's fun to read, too. It's almost <laughs> as if it were a novel. That's a good uh, trick. It is so <laughs> yeah. it is so difficult to yeah. do, but she has done this. It's um, a beautiful and book. So it is a gorgeous book. There are more than I believe more than three hundred illustrations mm-hmm. in it, and uh, we're very proud. Uh, it's available through uh, our website through um, LighthouseLocker.com, mm-hmm. I believe is the uh, is the uh, the way that you can get it, and uh, uh, it certainly would be an addition. To a lighthouse lovers library, um, if you're a fan of this particular lighthouse or a fan of very good research, 
Uh, and also, I'm some a fan of both. Stories. I look yeah. forward to reading it. Stories. It's it's yeah. it's there for the uh, for the asking. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I really look forward to reading it, and I'm glad you mentioned it. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be interested in getting that as well. Terrific. Felipe, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, we, we've mostly covered everything. I, I maybe can I leave a, leave everybody off with a fun fact that I, I think is fascinating every time i think about it but the mm-hmm. the lighthouse the ponce de leon inlet lighthouse is named after juan ponce de leon but then the town of ponce inlet that we're in right now is not named after juan ponce de leon it's named after antonio ponce another spaniard who made his residence over here and so yeah. I, I always found that hilarious that the the town of ponce inlet and the ponce de leon inlet lighthouse just happened to not be named after the same Ponce. I think the Pons, uh, Antonio Pons, Mm -hmm. actually came over with the Turnbull expedition uh, to to establish a plantation in New Smyrna in the 1770s. About 1,600 came, and maybe 400 of them were left after two years of, of, uh, of a major mistake on Dr. Turnbull's part um, and I think he he was one of the the survivors yeah, he was who mm-hmm. came back to uh, homestead the uh, the area so mm-hmm. that's right uh, so yeah. was so were the the Passetti family who originally they sold Pacetti's the land were, to, yeah. it's it's all very, uh, very it's connected. all very it's, very that is really interesting. It's not something I knew, so thank you yeah, for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I always tell people, and they always think it's fascinating, because yeah. it's not something you'd think about. But uh, yeah. no. Ellen spends a considerable amount of time in the early part uh-huh. of the history of the uh, book on the intricacies of, um, of the background uh-huh. of the region and who actually owned the property before the government bought it in, uh, in 1883. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating read. Great yeah. read. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both for spending time with me today, and I've really enjoyed my visit, and uh, I'm, I wish I could spend the day here. We've got to hit the road and make it down to Jupiter Inlet yeah. Lighthouse today. Yeah, say hello to the folks at Jupiter for us. <laughs> we will. So, John John Mann and Felipe de Paula, thank you, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Thank you. In the last episode of Lighthearted, we talked about Winslow Lewis's monopoly on the lighting system that was used in the lighthouses of the United States during the first half of the 19th century. Meanwhile, in France, one of the most important advancements in lighthouse history was being made in the early 1820s. We're not going to go into great technical detail on the workings of the Fresnel lens here. A podcast isn't the best vehicle for that. There are many websites and museum exhibits that provide good detail on the subject, and the greatest source on the life and work of Fresnel is the book A Short Bright Flash by Teresa Levitt. Augustin Jean Fresnel was a French civil engineer and physicist. He is best remembered for the invention of a type of lens that increased the visibility of lighthouses and saved countless lives. He was born in Normandy in 1788. Although he was blessed with great intellectual talents, the young Augustine was plagued by poor health. After much schooling and training, Fresnel entered government service as a civil engineer in 1812. He was sent to Nyon, France, to assist with a highway that was to connect Spain to Italy through an alpine path. But by 1814, his main concern was optics. 
Fresnel rejected the so-called corpuscular theories of optics that were prevalent at the time. He believed in wave theories of light, and his experiments on diffraction won him a Grand Prix award from the French Academy of Sciences in 1819. Fresnel also worked for the Lighthouse Commission. By the end of 1819, he made his first presentation to the commission, the introduction of a lens made of multiple prisms. Fresnel's lighthouse lens was refined until, on July 25, 1823, a rotating lens was activated in France's Cordouan lighthouse. The new lens replaced 12 separate lamps and parabolic reflectors that had been in use since 1791. The lens Fresnel installed that year consisted of an octagonal drum fitted with eight stepped lenses. At the base, he installed a ring of metallic mirrors that reflected the outer rays of light towards the sea. In the upper part, he placed eight small lenses that captured the upper rays and directed them towards the mirrors pointed at the horizon. The Cordouan lighthouse produced a steady light that pulsed with a brighter light for a few seconds each minute and then faded. A weight-driven clock mechanism regulated the light's rotation. The mechanism had to be wound by the keeper each day. In France, more than 20 lighthouses would be built and equipped with Fresnel optics during the following 15 years. Fresnel became the secretary of the Lighthouse Commission and he worked as an examiner at the École Polytechnique. In 1825, he introduced a system of lens orders or sizes with first order being the largest with different characteristics to facilitate recognition with some lenses producing a constant light and others producing a flash. Fresnel's health declined rapidly, and he devoted all his energies to his lighthouse duties. By 1824, it was clear that he had tuberculosis. He died in July 1827 on Bastille Day at the age of 39. His gravestone is inscribed simply, To the memory of Augustin Jean Fresnel, member of the Institute of France. Fresnel has been widely credited with constructing the world's first coherent theory of light. His invention was used in lighthouses around the world. I recently spoke with Tom Tagg, resident technology guru of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, about the impact of the invention of the Fresnel lens. Let's listen to Tom's comments now. Well, the Fresnel lens was the first major scientific advance uh, that we had in lighthouse optics. Previously, uh, they had tried various forms of reflectors, uh, a parabolic reflector is the best form and would be a, a, a good way to uh, show a light to the surface of the sea, uh, except it was extremely difficult to make. And in fact, most parabolic reflectors were really called spherical reflectors, which means that they didn't send the light out as they should. Augustin Fresnel chose to uh, use real optics, glass optics, like a, a telescope would be, and he formed lenses uh, in a special way that turned out to be named after him, the Fresnel lens, and that gave a really scientific advance uh, in the ability to show light over great distances. And the Fresnel lens became well used around the world, mainly in Europe uh, in the beginning, then it moved on to Japan, and finally in the 1850s moved into America. 
Well, thank you very much, Tom Tag, for summing up the uh, impact of the Fresnel lens. I appreciate it. Now it's time for our trivia question. The first two people to answer the following question will win prizes. And let me say that even if you're listening to this days or weeks after this episode was released, don't assume that the prizes have been claimed. Sometimes the prizes are won right away, sometimes not. So if you know the answer, why not give it a shot and enter? That's right. Here's today's question. What is the tallest lighthouse in Florida? Again, what is the tallest lighthouse in Florida? If you were paying attention at all during this episode of Lighthearted, you should know the answer. The first person to answer the question correctly gets a copy of the book Lighthouses of America, published in association with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's a beautiful 176-page hardcover book featuring stunning photographs of lighthouses across the country taken by society photographers. The second person to answer correctly gets an official U.S. Lighthouse Society passport. The Lighthouse Passport Program provides enthusiasts the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses as well as a wonderful way to keep a pictorial history of their lighthouse adventures. You can learn more about the Passport Program at uslhs.org. To enter, send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Please include your mailing address. Be sure to say you're answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Episode 15. And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y at uslhs.org. Before we wrap things up, I want to mention a GoFundMe page we'd like you to take a look at. It's supporting a project that will keep the Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse in Chesapeake Bay operational and open for public tours. Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse, which was transferred to the city of Annapolis, the United States Lighthouse Society, and the Annapolis Maritime Museum in 2004, is the only cottage-style screw pile lighthouse remaining in Chesapeake Bay. The Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society has managed the lighthouse's renovation. The Society, in cooperation with the Annapolis Maritime Museum, conducts tours of the lighthouse for the public. The structure is showing severe deterioration and bids are pending to complete a major restoration of the steel beams that support it. The USLHS has received a grant from the Maryland Historic Trust for $100,000, but that will not be enough to complete the restoration. That's why there's a GoFundMe site with a $50,000 goal. To find the page, go to GoFundMe.com and click on Search at the top of the page and search for Thomas Point Shoal. All donations of any size are helpful and are greatly appreciated. That's all for this episode of Lighthearted. As always, thanks to Jeff Gales, Maria Guevara, and all the volunteers and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Check out uslhs.org for info on tours and all the other great things the USLHS has to offer. Thanks to the volunteers of the Florida Lighthouse Association, the Florida Keys Reef Lights Foundation, as well as all the staff and volunteers of all lighthouse groups everywhere. And, of course, thanks to John Mann and Felipe DePaula of the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse Museum and everybody else, uh, all the other staff and volunteers of the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse Museum as well. And, of course, thanks so much, Cindy, for co-hosting during Florida Week. Anything you'd like to add? Well, thanks for having me, Jeremy. I like a theme, and I love Florida, especially Florida lighthouses. So I'm excited for the third and final episode of Florida Lighthouse Week. Well, we'll be back with that in just a couple of days. 
So with that, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep a good light. Thank you.